0: Think there is a question that the year 2020 will go down in history as one of the most bizarre, crazy, chaos-ridden years that we've experienced in our lifetime, in our generations. Um, And it's it's interesting to think back of just how much happened in this year. I don't know about you, but I go back to January 1st and I'm shocked that all of the stuff that has unfolded over the past year actually happened in. The year 2020, not in the decade that preceded it. Um, Things are very different now than they were at the beginning of this year, this new decade. On a personal level, I think back at the beginning of this year, I wasn't even working at Stowe Presbyterian Church yet. I started five days after the beginning of the year. I think back to my son. I have a a 17-month-old son And the first of the year, New Year's Day, we were taking down the Christmas decorations and we were setting up this play area for him that was kind of our big Christmas present. And on New Year's Day, he rolled over for the first time. And it's the same kid that now is running and walking and jumping and climbing all through my house. Destroying everything in his path. All of that within the span of one year. On a global level, things are very different now than they were at the beginning of the year. Think of all the realities that we couldn't have fathomed when we started this year. New Year's Day of 2020, so many things weren't in place. We were all spending time in each other's homes. You were sitting in this sanctuary. (laughs) No one had heard of anything related to this looming pandemic that has now come to define every day of our lives. We had no idea that murder hornets were a thing. Maybe some of you still don't know that murder hornets are a thing. Go and Google it. It was right around the summer months, and it was really kind of one of those weird turns of events that made you go, really? That also in 2020? Murder hornets. We could smile at the lady checking us out when we were at the checkout counter at the grocery store she could smile back to us and we could see each other's faces. We weren't engulfed in riots that were stemming from systemic issues of racism or politics. Things weren't heated in that sense. We had no idea who would be running for president, let alone who would win this year's election. That seems like ages ago. For our staff, the idea of figuring out how to do a service online, how to broadcast what we have going on every Sunday morning here, wasn't even a blimp on our radar. There is no question that this has been an intense, unique, and different year. Some of you have experienced loss. Some of you have experienced loss in the sense of jobs or income. Some of you have experienced loss of loved ones, of friends and family. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a sermon that is gloomy. (laughs) This is Christmas Eve, and the point of this evening is that we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so I'm not in any way anticipating that we go down a gloomy sermon route, but but I think it is important that we stop and, and acknowledge, because we can't argue or discount the fact that this year, in the midst of our celebration of Christmas Eve, this year feels just Ever so slightly different, doesn't it? The very fact of where you're sitting while you are hearing the sermon means that things this year just aren't like any other year. And we have to breathe in and breathe out and acknowledge that reality. See, for the past few weeks, as we've dealt with Advent, we have been talking about the various aspects of preparation. We talked the first week about preparing. Right? But what is it that we are preparing for? The second week, we asked you to be ready. It is important that we are always at the ready. But ready for what? The third week of Advent, we talked about setting proper expectations, about making sure that our expectations of things that God is doing line up with his will for our lives. But well, what are we preparing our expectations for? What is it that we actually ought to be expecting Just this past Sunday, we talked about waiting. And quite frankly, I think all of us are asking, well, what are we waiting for so patiently? We've been waiting. We've been patient. We've had the fervor. We've had the faith. But what is it that we're waiting for? See, what is it that we spend this Advent time preparing for? And maybe this year, more than any other, we need answers to that question. We need to know in our diligence and in our faith, what are we preparing for? And so this evening, I want to take a look at what it is that we have been spending all this time preparing for. We get a first clue in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. We've been going through Isaiah. One of the things that we've tried to do this year intentionally as we look through the birth narrative in Luke 2 and Matthew 1 and some other places is that we bring along the prophecies from Isaiah and Micah and others so that you can see that the story of Jesus is not just out of the blue. The New Testament doesn't begin and Jesus just shows up on the scene. This is the Savior that has been prophesied about for for centuries before he ever shows up. And so we've, we've spent intentionally a lot of time looking back at the Old Testament to see that God was telling the people at that time about what was to come and what it would look like. And so as we read some of the verses we're going to read today in Isaiah, we get a really good sense for what it is that we're actually preparing for. And the first clue comes from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. And it goes like this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're told what it will look like when the Savior comes. What we are preparing for is the arrival of Jesus. Jesus, as we know in the gospel, has been born this night to us. He as a child has been given to us. And he will grow up and his ministry will go forth and he will go to the cross and he will die for our sins so that we might be able to live in glory with God forever. Right? There, there's, there's a beauty to the gospel that we see here and the promises that are made. The removal of evil, the fact that God's government will be the one that runs all things. I don't know about you, but I can find hope and encouragement in the reality, especially in today's political climate, that there will be no more political fighting. There will be no more elections that we have to sweat over. There will be no more civil unrest there will be truly no more racism. It's not something we'll have to deal with. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess, I long for that day. And when we read the words of Isaiah 9, 1-7, through 7, we are told that that is the promise that is coming. When the child is born and the son to us is given, that's the whole point of why all of it is happening. That is the reason we celebrate this evening. But there's something deeper Something more. Because all those things we celebrate throughout our whole year. We celebrate those especially at Easter on Resurrection Sunday. Because that is the time that Christ accomplished what he came to earth to accomplish. And so a lot of times when we get to Christmas we think we're celebrating the birth. Because the birth means that that all happens. But the birth itself brings a unique characteristic of the nature of God that I think is worth exploring on this Christmas Eve. And the best place to find it is in Matthew, in his gospel, and his birth narrative, because Matthew quotes a part of Isaiah that is a bit unusual. So let's take a look at it, and then we'll get into the background of Isaiah in that time frame and how it informs our Christmas Eve celebration. The words of Matthew 1, 18 through 23 which means God with us. This quote that we see from Matthew is a direct quote from Isaiah 7. The, the, the little sliver that we get in the, in the Gospel of Matthew is from Isaiah 7.14. And Isaiah 7.14 takes place during a very odd time. This, if you would read this in context, it would be a, a really weird place to have this prophecy of the coming Jesus the Savior, because it's in the middle of an interaction with King Ahaz. See, in the time of the Israelites, during that time, the kingdom was split. You had Israel and you had Judah, and Ahaz was a king of Judah, and he was terrified of invasion from the north, from Israel and some others, and so he has this interaction with the Lord where the Lord tries to tell him, listen, no one is going to harm you or invade you If you want to, put me to the test. And Ahaz says no. And Ahaz was not a good king. Ahaz did not put his faith in the Lord. He didn't want to do things on God's terms. He didn't want to trust into the security of God. Instead, Ahaz goes and he makes a pact with the Assyrians to go and have them invade Israel. And that's what happens. And the problem is that later on the Assyrians don't just stop there. They turn on him and it causes all kinds of trouble. And this whole passage in Isaiah 7 is about Ahaz's unfaithfulness and his unwillingness to go along. And God is talking to him back and forth and Isaiah is trying to prophesy this. And in the midst of it, because Ahaz won't listen, the verse 14 is a hinge verse where God stops talking to Ahaz and talks to all the people. He turns and and the the, the address E now, the person being spoken to is the whole people of Israel. And he says that phrase that we just read, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and then you shall call his name Emmanuel. Right in the middle of that, God just puts this little prophecy of hope. And you wonder why? Why would he put it right there? And why would he say, that you shall call his name Emmanuel. See, what God is doing is he's telling them in the midst of disobedience and chaos that I'm going to bring my son to be with you. The reason we call his name Emmanuel is because, as we heard in Matthew, it means God with us. In the middle of the chaos of Ahaz's kingdom and his rule and reign, God promises that the Savior will enter. And I don't know about you, but when we read the birth narrative, we, we see just how much chaos actually is a part of it. See, we have this beautiful narration where the angel comes to Mary and says, you'll have a child. And then he comes to Joseph and he says, hey, Mary's going to have a child. And Joseph says, I didn't do that. And the angel says, I know, she didn't do that either. It was God who did it and you're going to stay with her and you're not going to divorce her quietly. And it just kind of happens. And then the next thing we know is Mary gives birth. If you think about the messiness and the chaos of that night, imagine as Mary, as a 15-year-old girl, carrying a child in the shame culture of that time. Having to explain to everybody, I did nothing wrong. The Lord put this child in me. He promised to be ridiculed for nine months. Honestly, it's a shock in the culture. Out of the providence of God, we we have to understand that it was a shock that Mary wasn't actually put to death for what they thought would have been infidelity. But no, she gives birth to a child. Not in a beautiful place, but in a cold, weary night. Just like in the kingdom of Ahaz, God promises in the middle of chaos that he will bring a savior. He brings that savior into the midst of a chaotic night. And what does he say? You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. See, that is the crux of what we celebrate on this Christmas Eve. It's, it, yes, it's about salvation. And yes, it's about the fact that we don't have to spend torment in hell for our sins, but that we get to be in glory after we breathe our last. But the real celebration of this Christmas Eve is that we serve a God who says, I want to be with you When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what it did is it was created this separation between God and them. Up to that point, they were walking together. They were talking together. They were being together. They could ask God questions and God would answer them. They could worship him and and see his reaction to that worship. They were with the Lord and sin caused this chasm We could no longer be with God because he was over here and he was perfect and we were over here and we are imperfect and God cannot be with imperfection. And so for the whole of the history, from the moment of Eve's first sin all the way to this, there was this separation. And every once in a while throughout the Old Testament, God would break through. And he would communicate, but it was always veiled. He shows up as a cloud or as fire, as a burning bush. Because if people lay their their face on God's face, they wouldn't be able to see it in the midst of that imperfection. And so God and man are separate until this night. We serve a God who says, it is not enough for me to love you and to guide you and to be around, the, kind of doing the things that you do and guiding your steps and showing you hope and proclaiming things to you. It's not enough for me to just work out a plan for salvation. I, more than anything, I long to be with you. God is coming on this night To be with us. He sends his son to be with us. To live as we live. To experience pain and loneliness and suffering and longing for something bigger. Just as we do. Our God is with us. That is incredible. He wants to be a part of us. And so he sends his son, not in some glorious way as a God would come riding down from the heavens, but as a little baby to experience all of the pains of life alongside of his people. That is what Christmas is about. Hebrews tells us we don't serve a high priest who can't sympathize in any way with us, but we serve a high priest who in every way other than sinning, can understand what our pain is like. Jesus walked with us on this earth and experienced all the pain so that as the risen Savior who reigns, seated at the right hand of the Father, he actually is able to sympathize, to empathize with us. He knows our struggles. When you experienced loneliness this year as a result of being stuck at home, God knows what that feels like. Because he sent his Son to be with us When you experience pain at the loss of a loved one, God knows what you're feeling because he was with us. He had people that he lost. He stood at the grave of Lazarus and wept alongside of his people before he raised him back from the dead. He knows what it's like to be us because he has come to be with us. I don't know about you, But this year, maybe more than any other year, it gives a tremendous hope to know that we serve and worship a God who wants to be with us. Who in all the pains that we experienced this year was with us and continues to be. And says, come on, I'm with you. That's the whole end of the story. If we go to the end of Scripture and we look at the book of Revelation, After the enemy has been dealt with and the final battle is over, one of the most beautiful passages we read is in Revelation 21, and it says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here it is, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. will become in the new Jerusalem to be with us. It's going to be like it was in the garden, except for in a city. And he will dwell with his people and we once again will be able to walk with him and talk with him and understand what he wants for us in our lives and worship him freely without the burden of sin looming over our lives. There is a time that is coming where we see it a little bit now and we celebrate it breaking through this evening. But there is a time coming where God will fully be with us because that is the God we serve. He wants to be with his People. And so this evening, as we sing our songs and we light our candles, remember that this is the day that God broke through. That after establishing his people Israel and walking with them through centuries and centuries, this is the night that God broke into our midst. And decided, no more. I will be with my people. And so when we experience that pain, we can remember God is with us. And that is the hope that we celebrate this Christmas. That is why we have this service on Christmas Eve. Because as we go to sleep tonight and we wake up tomorrow, we can know that whatever we face, God is with us. Us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son to be born as a baby in the most humble of circumstances. To live among us. We thank you that in times of pain and struggle, we can turn to you and know that you feel our pain and that you understand That when we shed tears, that you shed them with us. That you laugh next to us. That you cry next to us. That you mourn next to us. That you feel the anxiety next to us. And that all the things that we experience, you understand. Thank you for this Christmas Eve. Thank you for the fact that we can worship That something like a global pandemic has nothing on you. And that through the tools that you have provided us, that we are able to gather as your people. Thank you that you love us enough to send your son to live among us, to bear the pain and suffering of our sins and the punishment on the cross so that we might one day be able to live with you in glory. be with our homes this Christmas Eve. Bring peace upon every house of everyone listening this evening. Let tomorrow be a a day of joy and hope and laughter. We ask all this in your name and we praise you for who you are and all his people said, Amen.